Hello, my name is China Clayton. I'm the founder of Matriarch Made Development. And my favorite quote is, service is the price you pay for the space you occupy. The Leader Assistant Podcast exists to encourage and challenge assistants to become confident, game-changing leader assistants. With so much on your plate, wouldn't it be nice if ordering food for the office were easy and reliable? My friends at Easy Cater are workplace catering pros, helping you find food for everything from daily employee meals to staff meetings and special events. With Easy Cater's network of over 100,000 restaurants nationwide, you'll have a huge variety of options near you for any group size, dietary need, or budget. Your food arrives on time as ordered, all supported 24-7 by Easy Cater's team of experts. Visit easycater.com slash leader assistant to find out more. Hey friends, welcome to the Leader Assistant Podcast. It's your host, Jeremy Burrows, and this is episode 222. You can check out the show notes and all the links and more details for this conversation at leaderassistant.com slash 222. That's leaderassistant.com slash 222. All right. I'm very excited to be speaking with China Clayton today. China is the founder and CEO of Matriarch Made Development, which is a consulting firm that helps organizations develop high-performing administrative teams. And China has a fun uh, resume, uh, and we're excited to dive into that uh, she worked in the personal office of Barack and Michelle Obama as their director of travel and event operations, and also even had administrative roles at Disney, which is uh, which is probably an uh, interesting place to work for sure, fun place to work. So China, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. So you got to tell me, you know, I know you worked for... Uh, former First Lady Mrs. Uh, Michelle Obama, and worked in the White House. But you, you, you know, you got to be honest for just a second and tell me: was it more fun to work at Disney or the White House? <laughs> it was definitely more exciting to work at the White House uh, than Disney. Um, but you know, Disney's an amazing company, um, and you know, they truly are about creating the family-friendly uh, atmosphere, and that's even within their offices. There was very much this team-oriented spirit. Um, but, you know, just having the variation in your day to day, the White House was where it was at. <laughs> nice. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, OK, let's learn a little bit about you personally first before we dig into your career. Where do you live and what's your favorite thing to do in your city? Oh, goodness. So I live in Washington, D.C., um, however, I'm originally from Miami, Florida. So I'm a Florida girl through and through, although these days I'm definitely making the distinction between being from Miami, not necessarily the state of Florida. Um, (laughs) But my favorite thing to do is um, try new restaurants with my wife here. Like, you know, DC has an amazing food scene that I think a lot of people take for granted. Um, And, you know, there's just always something great popping up. Nice. What's your favorite type or genre of food these days? Oh my goodness. Um, You know, I'm a big seafood person. Nice. And nice. I also love Italian, a good, authentic Italian restaurant, too. Yeah. Great. 
actually, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but I was in DC in December and went to a pretty fun restaurant there. And the guy I was with was telling me all about the, the scene there. And uh, yeah. it, was, it seems pretty, uh, pretty lively. So it is, it is. Awesome. Well, what's, uh, what's your favorite movie or documentary? Yeah. So, you know, I actually, I really do love documentaries. Um, you know, I like facts and I like raw information and, you know, obviously learning through stories and firsthand accounts. Um, so, you know, the idea of like chronicling experiences and events, it really intrigues me because I feel, you know, the best way to um, prevent things from reoccurring is to know the history of things, right? Especially the wrongs, um, or at least I hope, right? If we're paying enough attention to our history, we should not be repeating a lot of our mistakes from the past. Um, but my favorite is Slow Burn. It was on Netflix um, and it was about the Watergate scandal. Um, and essentially the series is an adaptation from the first season of the podcast. And it goes beneath the surface with all these, uh, you know, with all this in-depth research and footage to uncover things that I personally never knew. Um, and, you know, and as I'm watching, I'm like, I wonder if the people who were living through this knew any of these facts or details. Hmm. Um, and I ended up, I watched during COVID and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, how will everything that we're experiencing right now be explained? Right. So like hmm. how will the documentaries produced 50 years from now recount Trump and the pandemic and all these things that we were, you know, going through in the moment, you know, like, will that generation judge our choices, right? Because as I'm watching, I'm low-key judging <laughs> some of the choices that were made back then. But clearly, you know, I had all the facts and access to all the facts right in front of me. So it was a little easier to cast that kind of judgment. But, you know, I'm just curious. I'm like, how will people perceive what we are going through now and the decisions that we made and about dealing with it, you know? Hmm. Yeah, very, very fascinating. And you know, speaking of Netflix and political documentaries or even shows, you know, I have to ask, uh, have you have you watched the show House of Cards? I have. <laughs> <laughs> is there I any have. is there okay, so I gotta tell you a funny <laughs> funny story. So I interviewed someone who works in the Premier League in uh-huh. in uh English football soccer, and I asked I had her on the podcast and I asked her if Ted Lasso Uh was any, you know, was it at all like working in the premier league? And she's like, what's Ted Lasso? Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I was like, okay, so I'm going to have to delete this out of the interview because uh, she hasn't even (laughs) seen the show. Well, fast forward two years. She's like, Hey, I just watched the show and I know what you're talking about now. And yes, it's just like working. Oh, in the Premier League. oh my goodness. So anyway, I had to ask you is house of cards at all like working in politics and DC in the white house? <laughs> you know, no, like it, it definitely <laughs> takes it to an extreme level. I, I, you know, there are certain things, um, as we're watching, it's just like, they'd never do that or secret service would never act that way or, you know, like all the things um, and all the protocols. Um, but yeah, it's, it was quite entertaining if I might say. <laughs> yes. Well, when I was in DC, I was walking around, you know, walking around the monuments and everything. And I just kept playing the house of cards theme song in my head, like <laughs> as I'm walking around DC. So anyway, Oh my gosh. Uh, I thought you so- were going to ask if it was anything like scandal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I actually haven't watched that show, so. Oh, really? Know. Okay. Okay. Fair. <laughs> uh, all right. So 
One more personal question. If you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere, maybe Times Square or wherever, uh, with anything on it, what would that billboard say? Are you ready to elevate your career in 2024? I'm Maggie Olson, founder of Nova Chief of Staff Certification, the first of its kind online course for aspiring and existing chiefs of staff. With curriculum taken directly from on-the-job responsibilities, Nova's self-paced learning modules provides you with hands-on experience so you can feel competent and confident moving into a chief of staff style role. It's the perfect next step for executive assistants. Head to leaderassistant.com slash Nova to learn more, grab the syllabus, and enroll today. Wow. Um, I think I'd say something simple, like, you know, leading with kindness will get you so much further. Um, and I know that sounds cliche, right? But it is truly my mantra, like being kind and empathetic, even when it's challenging to do so, right? Even when someone has wronged you beyond belief, um, it, it's just how I live my life, right? It's, it's, I, I know that there is favor in being kind to people um, because I feel like I'm an example of it. Um, you know, it obviously involves having a forgiving spirit and trying not to take things too personally. Um, and that can be tough, but I, I challenge more people to try and do it and start practicing it um, mm. because there's no reason not to, right? Right. So, yeah, it's great. We'll get the billboard uh, set up now. It's, it's <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, the probably the most common question you get asked, and I'm sure my listeners are curious, so I've got to ask it. How did you end up working with Michelle Obama? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so it all started um, with an internship, right? So I attended the University of Florida, um, where I received a dual degree in event management and political science um, and a minor in business. And back then, you know, it was my hope to start my own event planning company in Atlanta after school, and then maybe later down the road, run for office somewhere, you know, or locally um, in Miami. Um, and as a graduation requirement for the event management degree, I had to complete this internship in my field. So I applied to a few internship programs in Atlanta, and then my college advisor mentioned um, this White House internship program. She's just like, we had a student who applied under the Bush administration, I think, you know, you should definitely look into it. Um, and so I did, I applied and I was accepted um, not only to the White House internship program, but with um, the program with the Atlanta Hawks planning events for them. Um, and I almost passed up the White House internship opportunity just because it didn't fit into my plan, which was to end up in Atlanta after graduation, right? Um, mm. But, you know, thank God for my mom and talking some sense into me. And she was just kind of like, why would you ever pass this up? You know, first African-American administration, you have family in Maryland that you can stay with. So you won't be alone. And obviously that's, you know, you can live rent free, single mom thinking, you know, cost effectively as well. Um, and so I was just like, okay, fine. Right. So I accept this internship. Um, and, I was an intern in the Office of Presidential Scheduling in Advance. And I knew what scheduling was, but I had no idea what Advance was. Um, I just knew that on the website, it had some mention of events. And so, you know, it turns out Advance was these, the event planning and logistics arm of the White House. So when the president, the first lady, vice president, or then the second lady um, 
would travel beyond the White House gates, there was a team of people who would go out and coordinate all of the logistics involved in that. Um, and so I went on the road doing advance for about three years um, and got to see much of the world as a result. Like prior to that, I'd never done any extensive travel. I'd never done any real international travel aside from like Jamaica for a spring break. Mm -hmm. um, and after being on the road for three years, um, I then worked on the reelection campaign, the presidential inaugural committee. Um, and it was over that course of time that Mrs. Obama says she took notice of me. Um, and I handle a lot of their hotel logistics in those roles um, or RON logistics, which stands for remain overnight. Um, so anytime that they, you know, stayed somewhere outside of the White House, um, there was somebody who was coordinating with the hotel, Secret Service, military agencies to get all the ducks in a row. Um, so being in those spaces, you know, she's really taken notice. Um, and, you know, after the inauguration, I actually, that's when I did my two-year stint at the Walt Disney Company, uh, supporting two of their senior vice presidents, but I was still kind of going on the road in my off time and taking on trips. Um, and shortly thereafter, I got a call um, to, you know, to become the first lady's body person and essentially her right hand. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All the, from an so internship. <laughs> that's, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, all from your your mom's nudge, right? Like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Could you imagine? I'm like, oh man, life would have been completely different. Wow. So yeah. who? So you said you got a call. Like, was that just mm -hmm. from someone in the office that said, yeah. "Hey, we want you to yeah, come?" Yeah, it was in? the chief of staff in the office. Okay, nice. Mm -hmm. nice. Well, actually, deputy chief of staff in the office. Yeah. Great. So you then supported the family or, or specifically her, you said? Yeah. So specifically um, Mrs. Obama. Um, but with that came, you know, obviously um, supporting the girls as well. Um, mm. But yeah. 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 Cool. So what was the funniest thing to happen during, during your time working with, uh, with them, with the Obama family? You know, so <laughs> the funniest thing is, well, I, this is what I'll say. I almost didn't accept the job. Um, <laughs> yeah, crazy, right? Initially, you know, I was just unsure if I wanted to accept the position because, again, Disney was this amazing company. And, you know, I just got it accepted to a master's program for hospitality um, that Disney was going to contribute towards. And, you know, even with the White House on my resume, it had taken a while to, like, really settle into a career that I was excited about. Mm -hmm. Um and I've always been about stability, right? So I knew that this position at the White House would come with an expiration date at some point. Yeah. Um, and I'd be, you know, searching for a job again. So I really was, I was kind of hesitant about leaving, you know, what I knew to be my norm um, and, and, and rocking the boat and taking that risk. Um, but again, mom comes in and she's just <laughs> like, are you kidding me? opportunity of a lifetime right like this is history in the making like why would you not want to be a part of that and she's just like i don't want you to allow this fear of you know finding a job afterwards to get in the way of you actualizing dreams right like she's just like take a risk do something unfamiliar um you know at the end of the day you'll there'll be something for you to fall back on like don't think that way um yeah. so you know i gotta thank god for my mom because 
you know, not everybody has that kind of support, somebody that's supporting you to dream and somebody's that that's behind you, you know, and providing a safety net, um, you know, should things not work out, but yeah. Hmm. yeah. Wow. That's great. So you don't have to get in de- into details, but how often did you end up having to jump in and act as, or, or even maybe even not even have to jump in, but having to be aware of and have knowledge of what was going on with president Obama and coordinating with his assistant and team. And in other words, were there moments when you had to kind of pick up the slack and help, <laughs> help the team out? Or was it like, I have to at least know enough that if I did need to pick up the slack, I could, does that make sense? Yep, that definitely makes sense. Um, so thankfully, it was very much this team atmosphere. Um, and so, yes, you did need to know enough that, you know, God forbid something were to happen, you could step in and assist where needed. Um, you know, quite frankly, it was important for me to just have some knowledge of where he was, what he was doing at a certain time, just in case Mrs. Obama ever asked, um, just in case, you know, the kids were checking in about parents' whereabouts, um, you know, but for the most part, we would always kind of work in tandem, right? So when they Mm -hmm. were traveling together, it was just like, you know, a no-brainer that if she was just signing something, I'll hold the Sharpie out, keep it, pass it over to his assistant so that he could sign next and, you know, big on hand sanitizer and making sure, you know, that, that, that we're utilizing that, um, and, and, and having that at the ready, um, you know, there are certain things that he didn't always, his assistant wouldn't always travel with, right. Uh, tissues and floss and all this stuff that I had in this big floaters bag that I carry around. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just being able to assist and, and help him out in, in the event that he needed that, um, or, you know, there were times that he'd be able to grab her purse uh, from the limo before I could get there and just really working in tandem and, and treating it like a, like a team atmosphere. Um, but, you know, clearly being aware of how he supported the president so that in the moments where he needed to step out or in the moments where, you know, like, again, God forbid something happened, you could fill the gap. Hmm. But those moments are far and few, few between. Honestly, we we didn't have much slack. <laughs> right, but, right. Yeah, no, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, you know, I've I've never worked in the White House, um, so <laughs> this is this is a, on a much smaller scale. But I have worked with high profile executives throughout my career, and oftentimes, people around me would would or will get close to me in order to get close to my executive or in order to kind of get some of the inside scoop on what's going on with my executive. Mm -hmm. And another way to put it is people would essentially look right through me as if I wasn't even a person at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just curious, obviously working for a higher profile uh, person (laughs) in your role, did you ever interact with people who treated you as less than human because they just wanted to get access to Mrs. Obama? And if so, how did you navigate that and, and personally guard your self-worth in those moments. Yeah. Well, um, you know, and I, and I am sorry that you had to experience a lot of that. Um, it sucks. Um, and you know, honestly, I did not experience that. And I think partly because Ms. Obama did a really good job at stating my importance, um, from the beginning. Right. So when we, when she was introducing me, um, to people or when we were, you know, coming into contact with folks, 
she was very much like, this is who you need to go through to get to me. And, you know, she is my right hand and just really showing how valuable I was. And I think in turn, that caused people to understand, you know, my worth and, and treat me with respect. And, you know, I'd obviously do the same. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, no matter who you were, if you were the elevator operator or the custodian at one of the schools you were visiting, or even a celebrity, I acknowledged and I treated you with the same level of kindness and responsiveness. Um, and I think that's kind of what set me apart. You know, you have some people who do let proximity um, to power go to their heads. Right. But mm-hmm. for me before and after Mrs. Obama, I'm still China Clayton, right. The daughter of Doris King. So it's just like, you know, don't get me wrong, right? I'm proud to work for the Obamas all day long, but it wasn't something that I'd want. Um, I just kind of let my work speak for itself, um, you know, because I didn't join their team for my own gain. Um, I felt that I was serving something greater. Um, and she really did do a good job at just enforcing the level of respect that needed to be had with her team. Hmm, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I talk I talk about this quote from Dorothy Sayers in my book, um, where she talks about how the community as a whole is better off if we focus on serving the work, in other mm-hmm. words, do, doing good work versus angling for applause. I love that phrase, oh, yes. angling for applause. And so it sounds like uh, you had a good solid grounding of, Hey, you know what? I'm here to do good work and serve the work. And I'm not here for applause because when you are for applause and to be honest, in my prior roles, I I definitely angled for applause more uh, Mm -hmm. than I should. And that's when you are, yeah, probably more vulnerable to these. Yeah. I was going to say that's when your feelings can get hurt. Oh yeah. 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 So great. Well, thanks for sharing. Of course. Um, Okay. So Obviously, there, uh, there's there's busy and then there's high pressure White House busy. <laughs> um, what's your top, you know, one or two tips for navigating high pressure situations? Yeah, I think top would be maintaining composure um, and thinking quick on your feet. You know, when you're in, a, in an environment where the pressure is high. The best thing you can do is keep a level head and not freak out. You know, that energy is contagious. So I feel that like if you remain composed and confident and brings a calm and a reassurance to the situation, right? Like mm-hmm. you got to fight the feeling um, to react to external pressure, right? I think that that allows you to really think through solutions where necessary and, and the outcomes. Um, you know, I think back to we had an event uh, in the White House kitchen garden one year. And during the Obama administration, um, the White House started making their own honey on site. So there was a beehive near the kitchen garden. And, you know, this particular day, someone forgot to close the beehive the night before. Uh. <laughs> um, and we found out just a few hours before the event and found ourselves, you know, okay, high pressure situation. Um, and I was the person who had to deliver the news to the first lady. And I thought to myself, I'm like, if I remain composed, she will too. Right. And so I mm-hmm. delivered the news knowing that there were just certain things that were beyond our control and that, you know, I could help shape this and deflect tension by trying to remain positive. Right. And letting her know everything that we were doing to ensure the safety of all involved, unfortunate situation, but here's, here's how we are on top of it. Um, you know, we had medical staff at the ready to respond and having that few hours before the event helped us to, 
you know, identify any kids or any participants uh, with bee allergies, right? Um, mm. But can you imagine if I would have freaked out, right? The team in charge of the event would have freaked. <laughs> the person who is responsible <laughs> for the hive, you know, would have been even more terrified. Um, but I think, you know, my ability to remain calm really helped us focus in on the solution. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, kind of what you said about responding instead of reacting mm-hmm. and is is great, uh, great way to look at it. So oh, yeah. what about self-care? So have oh. you, how have you managed <laughs> stress and resisted burnout throughout your career? Yeah. You know, I've found that there's like, no secret sauce to this, right? Um, It's a struggle and it is something that you really have to be intentional about. Um, And that's easier said than done, especially in our line of work. You know, as an assistant, you are at the mercy of someone else's schedule, right? And you are constantly putting someone else's needs before your own. Um, But you have to remember, you're no good to yourself or anyone else if you're running on E, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to take the time to reset um, and recharge. There's this, uh, this book by Erica Keswin. And she asked, you know, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? And once you know that answer, that's what you should always make time for on your schedule, right? That is what goes first. And so I think, you know, if you schedule yourself by saying, from this time to this time, I'm going to focus my attention on work, But after 7.30 or come this weekend, I'm not doing anything work-related, right? I'm going to take some me time. I'm going to enjoy my family. I'm going to go out to dinner. I'm just going to sit down and have that glass of wine and watch a movie, whatever it is. But just try to be consistent about it. Um, For me, during the White House, that was much harder. (laughs) I really did not find that balance. But post-White House, when the stakes weren't as high, I was able to carve out time in the mornings or on the weekends and being sure to communicate that to my boss, right? So that she knows, hey, this weekend I'm going to go on a walk. So I may not be responsive from this time to this time. Um, Or, you know, in the mornings, check my incoming. And if there was anything that didn't need an immediate response, you know, I'd go make my cup of tea, sit down, have a little moment for prayer, you know, and just take my time because technically the clock starts at nine, right? Not 6 a.m. But -hmm. I think that's the thing, right? Especially with my generation, for sure, we have problems prioritizing because I think there's this guilt that comes with delayed responses, right? We think that most people want everything immediately. Um, And I'm sure that there are people who do, but there are also folks who are just like, as long as you get back to me, I'm not expecting a response within two minutes of hitting send. Um, I think, you know, we were kind of horrible at setting these boundaries. Um, But what I'm finding is Gen Z is like in their boundary setting era, right? It's as if they (laughs) took heed to our lack in that area. um, And they're just like, it won't be us. (laughs) But, you know, there's also a balance to these boundaries as well, right? Because you don't ever want to set so many that you jeopardize the functioning of the team as a whole. Right. Mm-hmm. Because right now you're only looking out for self and setting so many boundaries up just, you know, to preserve self. Um, and that's really no way to be right. You do want to account for the team in your boundary setting. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, again, I would just say don't let a day go by where you haven't somehow carved out a little time for yourself. Um, it may not be much, but you do need time to just clear your mind and 
you know, have thoughts and dreams that aren't centered around work. Hmm. Wow. Well said. Well said. Well, China, if a brand new assistant came up to you tomorrow or gave you a call or shot you an email and asked, you know, hey, I'm starting my first week ever as an assistant. Do you have any tips for me? How would you respond? Ooh. I think I'd say, um, remember that this is all new, right? And it is going to take time to adjust to the new work environment, to, you know, your colleagues, to your boss or the executive or principal who you're supporting. Um, You know, you have to give yourself grace and accept the fact that you will make mistakes, right? Um, But you have to learn from them right? And then bow to yourself to never make those mistakes again. You're human. You're not perfect. So we are going to make mistakes. Um, But the key is just not repeating the same mistakes over and over and over. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, So, okay. So tell us about Matriarch Made Development. Why did you start it? And what's your, what's your mission? Yeah. Um, So I started it because I just felt that our roles are so much more elastic than the word assistant even encompasses. Um, And it was shocking to me that assistants are considered entry-level positions, right? And there's no real training for it. There's no schooling dedicated to our line of work. And you get in and it's sink or swim. Um, And a lot of people, you know, they credit it to, oh, Um, you know, it was a mismatch. You know, I hear a lot of executives just saying, oh, it's just not the right fit. Um, And sometimes we just aren't communicating our expectations, right? We just aren't uh, taking the time to to communicate what we need. And a lot of people don't know what they need from their assistants. Um, So, you know, my whole thing is trying to work to design a program to correct that, right? I, I want assistants to stop seeing themselves as just assistants because we are so much more. Um, and when we do our jobs well, the people that we support can perform at their best, right? Like we 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 take part in that success. Um, so my hope is just to change the narrative, not only on how we as assistants and admin staff view ourselves, but also how the outside world views us. Um, You know, I eventually want to create a platform where we can build community and create a network for assistance, a place where we can share lessons, find resources and, you know, build upon our skill set. That's great. So how how can like do you work with executives and their assistants together? Do you work with them separately? Are you kind of uh, anything and everything? How do you practically work with them? Yep. So I work with executives and their assistants together and then assistants, um, more of a one-on-one or group session um, sort of training. Um, You know, what I tell executives is just like, I'm in the business of changing your life for the better, right? And knowing, um, you know, you you can walk around knowing that everything's under control and have this trust in your assistant and the schedules that they're putting together and the information that they're gathering for you. You know, you won't have to worry about the ball being dropped or stress about travel and the changes that are occurring while you're on travel, um, you know, making sure your preferences are accounted for, um, you know, gaining back some time in your day. Um, and all that can happen by you investing in your assistant through training. 
Um, and then for the assistants, it's, it's more of like, a, you know, sharing of best practices and tools, things that work well for me, um, you know, being a listening ear and, and helping navigate through some of the complications that come with the job. Hmm. That's great. So what would you say, you know, you know, from your experience as an assistant and working with other executives and assistants and trying to help that partnership, how would you answer the question, what makes an assistant a leader? Wow. Yeah. I think the key to being a leader in that role um, is knowing how your operation runs, right? Um, Knowing who the players are and how to keep the ball moving. Um, You know, being a valuable asset, right? Not only to the person that you support, but to the team, to the overall team. Um, You know, I feel like assistants really do know the inner workings of things, right? We know how to get things done. We know the best ways to present information to our principals, um, the questions to take into account before you go into a meeting with the boss and just using that knowledge to support the team, right? Offering your guidance. Um, You know, I often say that like the next executives are sitting just outside the boss's door. Hmm, That's great. I like that. Cool. Well, where can people reach out and learn more about Matriarch Made Development and connect with you? Yeah. So that would be at chinaclayton.com. So that's C-H-Y-N-N-A-C-L-A-Y-T-O-N.com. Great. And I will put your link in the show notes for sure. So people can reach out and say hi and find out more. Um, the show notes are at leaderassistant.com slash 222, leaderassistant.com slash 222. China, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your uh, stories and wisdom and passion for the assistant community as a whole. And uh, yeah, best of luck to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and please keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Please review on Apple Podcasts. GoBullows.com